Huh. Jolin. We are live. I think you're muted, by the way. <laughs> I was muted. Um, I'm trying to share the the stream. How goes it? Uh, it goes well, you know, lots of transition taking place here at Monroe Manor. Some mm -hmm. things will be happening. Um, but yeah, everything's good. Everything's good. You know, very, very interesting day in the market, which we'll get into in a little bit. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, shout outs to you. Uh, it's so funny how it's like we're always coming through like on days in which that we wear black. <laughs> I know. And it's funny. We don't plan this. Yeah, <laughs> It's like, mm, I feel like today is like a day of wearing black day. It's like well, a black I tried day. to add some color because like I well, was. Every totally, day is a black day, but. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, all black all day. Um, but okay, I, I, I have updated all the social media channels. So anyway, um, today was a day. Are you ready to get into it? Yes, let's do it. So what's up, everybody? I'm Mark Monroe, accompanied by my wonderful co-host, co-producer, co-creator, and all things galactic. And of course, we're going to keep it black and yet keep it brief. Give it up to the wonderful. It's Jalenji you seeing the place to be. What does it, cousins? I hope you are doing excellent on this fine Tuesday. All right. All right. And if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button down below. And on top of that, if you like this video, then apparently it will tell YouTube's algorithm to stop hating and get it out there to a bunch of other folks that definitely need this information and knowledge. So, you know, maybe we can do some things there. And then on top of that, if you want to be in the know, like who was first in the chat today? Do we, do we know? Do we know? Anybody? Yeah. You know, it was Reggie P coming through super early. <laughs> well, shout outs to Reggie. Cause we actually got the receipts now. So Reggie, you were the first person in the chat. So we salute you. And thank you for having your notification bell on. So if you want to be like Reggie, AKA a part of the notification squad, as well as the cool kids club, go ahead and hit that bell. So that way you could be just like him and we can shout you out. All right. So Jolyn, what's good? How are we doing these markets? Oh man. All right. So the Dow was up, you know, I was doing this thing it was up 338.30 points. So now y'all, we are at a level of 35,000. Um, and some change. We got the S and P 500 up 56.08 points. Um, we're now at 4,631.60, and the Nasdaq coming in with a respectable 264.73 points. We are now at 14,619.64. The VIX came down um, to 18.90, and the U.S. Treasury note is up to 2.407 percentage. Heading over to sector performance, as you know, there are 11 sectors and we track the top three and the bottom three so we can see what that rotation is looking like. Uh, we have real estate, technology, and consumer discretionary holding it down for the top three spots. And in the bottom, we have health, financials, and energy, the only sector in the red today. Heading on over to pick performance, as you know, um, we just released these new picks. You can find all of those picks on our Instagram page at that come up series. We have Twilio, Unity, and TQQQ all holding it down over 5%. Twilio was up 8.55%. Unity was up 5.92%. And TQQQ up 
0.5%. Now, for the bottom feeders, we have United Health, Diamondback Energy, and SQQQ. So United Health was negative uh, 0.48 percentage points, Diamondback Energy, negative 1.40 points, and SQQQ, negative 5.11%. So you can see that range. We got eight over 8.5% for Twilio and SQQQ, negative 5.11%. So we've had good days back to back. Um, so we'll see how this, you know, shakes out <laughs> tomorrow. We'll see if it holds. We'll see what's going on, you know, because I heard that there's whispers, you know, a recession. So y'all will talk about a little, all of that kind of stuff later on in the show, but, you know, just pay attention to um, data. And that's what I'm going to say, you know, narratives yes. can, especially media narratives can throw you off. So um, shout out to Brian Clyette for our Black History Corner. You know, we like to keep rocket all the way till Juneteenth. Let freedom ring all the way to Juneteenth. So let's talk about, um, we're going to talk about Madam C.J. Walker today. Hey. So who was Madam C.J. Walker? Madam C.J. Walker invented <laughs> a line of African-American hair products after suffering from a scalp ailment that resulted in her own hair loss. She promoted um, her products by traveling around the country, giving lectures, demonstrations, and eventually established the Madam C.J. Walker Laboratories to manufacture cosmetics and train sales beauticians. Her business acumen led her to be one of the first African American women or just American women in general to become a self-made millionaire. She was also known for her philanthropic endeavors, including a donation donation toward the construction of an Indianapolis YMCA in 1913. Walker's life was portrayed in the 2020 TV show Self-Made with Octavia Spencer portraying Walker. Uh, Walker later died of hypertension on May 25th, 1919, the year my grandpa was born, at age 51 at Villa Loraro. In 1981, Madam C.J. Walker um, Manufacturing Company ceased operations. A line of cosmetics and hair care products bearing the name Madam C.J. Walker Beauty Culture is available at Sephora retailers. Walker left one third of her estate to her daughter, who would also become well-known as an important part of the Harlem Renaissance and the remainder to various charities. Walker's funeral took place at Villa Nolaro and she was buried at Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx, New York. So I will note, Mark, that um, Madam CJ's Walker, her business model of um, training the beauticians and doing direct sales is the same model that has been um, used by all of those direct marketing companies. So think of, you know, like uh, a really good one would be um, uh, Mary Kay. So that line of like consumer to consumer direct sales, that was from the brilliance of Madam CJ Walker. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, all those sales companies have the culture to thank for that. So it's not really talked about, but you know, we we're known for innovation. It, it, it's in our DNA. So, um, yes. so Mark, you know, today the show, you know, it's all about that implied volatility. I know there were several questions today about, um, you know, rumors in the market with recessions. There was, talks about um, recession signals. There was talks about, um, there were questions rather on how to prepare. All these different questions, um, 
that I think fall in line with what we're going to talk about today. So that's great. So I'm just okay. letting you know there are a lot of questions. Some of them are overlaps, but a lot of them, there's a lot. I'm like, okay, I'm still scrolling through. <laughs> okay. So where should we start first? Um, let me see. Oh, there's a question for you, Mark. Is that Come Up Series hat available for purchase? Uh, it will be soon, along with a few other merch items. We're actually, we actually switch merchandise providers, or we're in the process of doing that. So the existing merchandise stuff is still technically available, but pretty soon we're going to be switching it all over and redesigning and getting some new stuff in there. Um, yeah, so there you have it. Oh, there was a cousin who um, hadn't been joining us for a minute, and, and then she came back. Um, and I'm trying to find her because she was in remission. So I wanted to shout her out, but I can't find where her, where her, um, here it is. Hold on, hold on. So her Twitter or her IG handle is Evan SEO4. So okay. Evan SEO4, um, glad that you're back with us and glad that you're healthy, um, and strong. So thanks for coming back. Welcome we back. Missed you. Okay. Yeah. So where should I begin? <laughs> oh, that was the question, eh? Um, <laughs> I think we should begin like maybe three seconds after the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk recession real quick. You know, mm -hmm. The number one question I'm probably guessing that everybody wants to know, are we headed for a recession? So much to unpack here. So given in the sense that pretty soon I'm going to be in a little bit of transition, I'm not going to be able to fill, uh, film a bunch of stuff, So, which means that I'm going to be doing a lot of dumps of data and information uh, to each and every single one of you uh, when it comes to making sure that... Um, you have the knowledge and not waiting on me to do a pre-recorded episode. So a lot of times you're going to be catching it like I'm coming in hot. So hopefully, you know, this suits everybody as a quick little breakdown. So are we headed for a recession? One uh, short answer in the short term. No. Long term answer, meaning anywhere from 12 months to 24 months. Very, very possible. Um, now, what is causing that? Now, a lot of the things that we see on the high side is, of course, inflation on products, supplies, and then on top of that, wage inflation. And then, of course, everybody's like up in arms, like, okay, hey, well, real estate, you know, now we're starting to see mortgage rates climb above 5%, where once upon a time it was like significantly low. Um, so, are we headed there? Yes. Is this normal? Yes. It's actually funny because a lot of times people get spooked when we hear the word recession, but in reality, when we think about recession, that's just a way, and it's just a way of being able to explain that the economy is coming to a slowdown. We go through periods of growth. Think about it like as if the economy is a sprinter, and if the economy is a sprinter, then they're going to give you the best that they got. If you know, shout out to the four hundred meter runners out there. Um, but and if you run eight hundred, you're just weird. But you know, I salute you. Um, <laughs> so pretty much um, what happens is, is that you start to run out of gas and you start to slow down. I mean, if anybody has ever sprinted before, you understand that essentially you give it the best that you got. And even if you're the best 400 meter runner, you start to slow down 
you're not picking up any extra speed because of the fact that you just ran a hard 300 meters and coming into the final 100 coming around the wall, you're definitely hitting that point. Now imagine the markets in that same type of manner or the economy in that same type of manner. When you have significant boost as it pertains to quantitative easing and stimulus and everything else, you're just given an adrenaline shot or, well, I'm going to keep it PG today. And so, cause you know, I could have gone PED like performance enhancing, but you know, we're going to just say this. Um, now we're coming to this period of time where we've had all this significant expansion and growth and expansion. And now we're coming to this place where we're starting to see the economy slow down, AKA the sprinter is slowing down. Um, it doesn't mean that we're not going to make it across the finish line and take a small little breather. We're going to do that. And then during that period of time, you typically see that things are a little bit slower. So it doesn't mean that the economy comes to a standstill like COVID, you know, made everybody do, but it just means that essentially that the growth, so AKA GDP numbers or GDP growth rates slow down. Um, let's say some companies, their performance, their earnings, their earnings growth slows down. And you just see that we tend to go through these cycles and periods of time in which that ultimately it spooks the market because now investors are like, well, who's going to be significantly impacted? And now it's like, all right, well, now I got a price in all this risk. You know, the last time that we actually saw the yield curve invert was actually in, I think it was April, I think it was sometime in April again in 2019, where we saw the yield curve invert. And here's the funny thing. If you don't remember, 2019 was probably, well, excluding 2020's, you know, behavior. April, uh, 20, the year of 2019 was probably the greatest bull market runs for an entire year. It's not to say that everything was up, but when you look at the market in as a whole, mm-hmm. it was lit. <laughs> and then, well, we know what happened after. But if you think about it in 2018, a lot of folks like to refer back to 2018, but there was a lot of things going on there. Like a lot of folks realized that the yield curve had been inverted again during that period of time. But yet there was also a lot of stuff happening, like the Fed was cutting rates or the or the Fed was raising rates very aggressively. In this particular situation, I don't think that the Fed is going to raise rates aggressively. They're going to raise them over periods of time incrementally. The Fed went from almost I think it was like 50 basis points and then, you know, another like 50 basis points or something like that. And that was just like, wait, hold up. The market's just like, whoa, 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 pow. Yo, I understand that you're trying to flex here because you're the new Fed chairman, but Jesus, take it easy on us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, ultimately it spooked the market. And if you saw what happened in the, at the end of 2018, uh, it was pretty, it was, it hurt. <laughs> Let's just move on from that subject. Um, so in 2019, when we saw it invert again, um, the market was like, okay, well, all right, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then ultimately COVID happened. Now, what does that look like when we think about a a yield curve inversion? So when we think about the two-year and 10-year, so what happens? It's pretty much what happens when the two-year treasury yield is higher than, say, for example, the 10-year. At that point in time, you have an an inversion. Normally, if you go and look at most of the treasury bonds, you'll typically see that essentially that now I'm really self-conscious about something. So I'm going to see exactly how many times I say the word essentially in in our shows moving forward. If you've been keeping count, let me know at the end of the episode. Yeah, it's um, 34. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> I'm going for the record, essentially. <laughs> okay. So if you think about it, 
normally from like starting from like the two year or the one year and then going all the way up to the 30 year, typically the 30 year is typically the highest. And then after that, it's like, all right, well, you know, essentially you see it like go in a process period where 30 year is higher than the 10 year, 10 year is higher than seven, seven is higher than the five and so on and so on and so on and so on, except for if we're excluding the short term uh, interest rates, like the two month, three months, those. Mm -hmm. So with that being in perspective, and also understanding where we are as it pertains to the Fed also has a significant amount of cap or a significant amount of debt on its balance sheet that it has to essentially move off. And then on top of that, there's red rate hikes where we have to get the federal funds real rate uh, back to a, a set of normalcy. And then, of course, we have waging inflation that's way out of control, though that it's being enforced by the supply side. So that's just a supply side bottleneck alongside with some wage inflation and stuff like that. Um, now, a lot of folks are saying, well, when do we expect this recession to take place? Now, here's the funny thing about recessions. Most people don't know that they're in a recession until we're coming out of it. Mm -hmm. So it's like around the time that you start hearing a lot of the conversations take place, you know, if, if you're very well in tune into the market and paying attention on the economic side, then, of course, you're going to be very much so well versed on what's happening in the economic landscape. So you're going to be very aware. And those are the folks who take advantage of not only companies to invest in and to, to buy into, but also spotting out who are the next potential players that could be the diamond in the rough that you invest in. And, you know, ultimately you got the ultimate come up. Um, so normally when we see that the inversion typically takes place, there's like this read that says that it typically will happen between 12 to 18 months down the road that the market will ultimately realize that we're in a recession. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Is it an exact science? No. Mm -hmm. Um, could there be other driving factors? Yes. Um, is it something to really get spooked over? No, because already we're seeing that the growth in a lot of areas have, has already slowed down. And you're going to see that as we, we are just now stepping into earnings season. That's mm -hmm. why I say to people, pay attention to earnings as well as like look in the earnings side, look for the earnings growth. But in the real side, look at the narrative, a.k.a. the guidance and full year outlook. Those things will tell you a lot as it pertains to are we really going into recession? So who are some of the companies to pay attention to? Well, if you want to pay attention to the ultimate, you know, stock market bellwether darling, pay attention to Apple. Mm -hmm. If you want to look at things on, say, for example, wholesale side, look at companies like a Costco or a Walmart. If you want to look at things on an automotive standpoint, you know, you know, not trying to toot my own horn, but, you know, beep, beep. You could definitely pay attention to Tesla. And then, of course, you can, you know, look at the other folks in whom wish that follow, a.k.a. Ford and GM. <laughs> And a few other folks. And then on top of that, if you want to pay attention to even the retail side of things, you could look at Target. You can also look at luxury retail. When we think about recessions, here are the things that typically take place. Luxury spending items typically fall. So which means that you'll see a drop back in luxury spending, aka, like, for example, look at money. If you realize that money's going to get a little tight, you're not going to be out there spending money willy and nilly, though that you shouldn't be doing that anyways. You shouldn't be loosey goosey with your cash. But if you are out here, then the recession should be your wake up call to say, OK, hey, maybe I need to get a little bit more smart with my money and let my money start moving um, correctly. Um, so those are some of the things to pay attention to when you start seeing that those types of areas or those arenas of spending start to slow down, then that can let you know that we are in a place of headed towards a recession. But if you don't see those things, then, you know, 
right. Well, you had mentioned earnings. So there were some questions about um, restoration hardware. So, you know, they closed today at over 385 and then they went down to the 369 in the aftermarket. Um, and uh -huh. they announced that three for one split. So there, you know, people want to know, we could take a look at the um, briefly. <laughs> I knew you were going to get me with it. Yes. Okay. Hold on. Let me, let me go ahead and pull it up. Uh, so I think that's their Q, was that their Q4 earnings that they reported or their Q1? Um, I think they're, aren't they, in, they're in Q1, I think. Yeah. Let's see here. And I should have been ready. I knew it. I just knew that Julian was going to come for me today. I'm not coming for you. I know. All right. So let's see if I can go ahead and share the screen for you guys. Share a screen, a window. Something. I know, right? A smoke signal. <laughs> okay. Check me out. Check me out. All right. So let's go ahead and increase this the size of the print. Hopefully everybody can see that. All right. So pretty much they published it a few hours ago. So yeah, this was, yeah, there, it was their Q4 2021 results. I, I felt like that was it. All right. So let's get into it. Um, hold on. This is not correct. I knew I had the right site. And I knew I had the right earnings, but sometimes you just got to believe in yourself. <laughs> <laughs> what? All right. I'm laughing at butter now. Oh. <laughs> this guy. Hello, unbothered. <laughs> Very unbothered. All right. So here is their Q4 earnings. Let's go ahead and just get to it. So 2022 <laughs> year of the new. Oh, sorry. My bad. All right. Mm -hmm. Hopefully everybody can see this and we'll just throw this up on the full screen so that way we can do that. All right. So here we are looking at we generated 97 million in free cash flow in the quarter, 477 million for the year, inclusive of 191 million increase in inventory in which approximately 60 million is due to increased transit times and the balance target to alleviate our unshipped demand backlog. So, okay, they have a significant amount of backlog. They brought in a significant amount of cash. Their quarter was amazing. And on top of that, this includes the fact that they had to significantly increase inventories to make up for that demand. So that's dope. Uh, we ended the year with 90 million of net debt and nearly 2.2 billion of cash on our balance sheet. So let's run that back here real quick, just for perspective. So if you look at, say, for example, uh, 90 million of net debt and nearly 2.2 billion of cash that lets you know that essentially that nobody like in a world in which that a lot of folks are nervous about companies having, you know, that on their balance sheet or say, for example, you know, whether they've taken out loans or whatever it is uh, at low interest rates, they're saying that, okay, hey, that they could be possibly uh, folks that are targeted in high interest rate environments. But there's this beautiful thing called $2.2 billion of cash on our balance sheet uh, while generating 73% in 2021. So that's very much so strong. And also at the same token, this is letting you know, because here's the thing, 
ain't nobody out there like everybody's not out there checking for restoration hardware when it comes to say for example furniture because if you've seen that price tag that may be above everybody a lot of folks spending limits out there so again so when we think about it that's letting you know that the luxury consumer is very much still strong because instead of you going out there to buy a couch over there at ikea like what you would probably pay like let's say six hundred dollars for you're going to pay for a couch at restoration hardware for probably about maybe three four grand at a starting point just as a heads up so let's go a little bit further like the year of the new so you know, pretty much opening of Restoration Hardware San Francisco. Okay, that's great. Launch of Restoration Hardware Contemporary, the most compelling and potentially disruptive pro uh, product introduction in our history. Uh, we'll see about that. Expansion of Restoration Hardware Interiors and Modern. Uh, so that should be very interesting because now they're getting into the world of collections. So where they're starting to curate their own, uh, which is very much so huge because then it cuts, it kind of starts to cut the middleman. Uh, where you can increase those profit margins. Uh, so as you can see, unveiling of our first guest house in New York, a revolutionary new hospitality concept for travelers seeking privacy and luxury in a $200 billion North American hotel market. Hmm, interesting. Um, wow, I, I just want to say that there. Um, and let's see here, let's keep going because we have a lot of you know, I love it when a company brags, but after a while, you want to get in a little bit into the details. So the expansion of uh, RH brand globally, beginning with the opening of England, the gallery of, at the historic uh, Anho, Annie, or Einho Park, a magical 17th century, 73 acres. So clearly they're getting into some of the real estate game here as it pertains to their expansion. So that's dope. So let's look at their outlook because that's what really matters, right? So while we enter 2022 with confidence that our efforts will continue to elevate and expand the restoration hardware for brands to come, we also recognize that there are several external factors such as record inflation, rising interest rates, global unrest that create uncertainty. Although we lack the ability to predict the economic outcomes on a macro scale, we do have the business model, strategy, and balance sheet to take advantage of opportunities that may present themselves, whether it be during times of economic expansion, contraction, or dislocation. That right there is game series match right here. Like, talk on that talk. look no further. Like, mm -hmm. if you want a company that literally just talk their talk, then this company just did that. And so while first quarter sales and margin trends remain healthy due to ongoing relief of our backlog, so they're going to be hitting that backlog. So a lot of that stuff has already been paid for. They just they just can't uh, realize those gains yet until product has actually gone out to the consumer. Um, we have experienced softening demand in the first quarter that coincided with Russia's invasion of Ukraine in late February and the market volatility that followed. We believe it is prudent to remain conservative until demand trends return to normal and are providing the following outlook for the first quarter in fiscal 2022. Now, this is probably what sent the stock downward uh, in the aftermarket. So though that you talk that talk, and I want you all to not forget about this, mm -hmm. but at the same token, I like the fact that what they're doing is, and this is what we call a terminology called sandbagging because a company is going to sandbag their earnings to bring down expectations. And then possibly next quarter, you could be seeing, not next quarter, but look towards in Q2, where you could possibly see that the company has a major blowout quarter, if by chance that one, 
there's still more backlog Two, essentially that orders are still up. So which means that the consumer for restoration hardware is still very much so strong. So they said first quarter net revenue growth is in the range of seven to eight percent versus 78 percent last year uh, with adjusted operating margin in the range of 23 to 23 and a half percent versus 22.6 percent a year ago. Uh, fiscal 2022 revenue growth range five to seven versus 32 percent last year. So you can see that that's a huge significant drop because you went from 32 percent to single digit growth. But, you know, of course, we have to look at it like this. This is still considered probably your COVID-19 backlog, um, which will probably play out again in the first quarter. And then after that, essentially, we could be seeing that essentially that we get back to a form of normalcy. Um, our outlook is inclusive of opening the San Francisco in late spring and then the guest house in early summer, England in mid to late summer and Palo Alto in the fourth quarter. So these are the areas in which that you look for as their growth drivers and moving forward. And outside of that, we already know what the restoration hardware ecosystem is. It's very, very, it's, well, one is very dense at the same token. It's very much so essentially a, a thing in which that they built a strong moat around it to well insulate the company. So as long as they're luxury clients and as, and you're starting to see that they're opening up other tier models, as long as those models stay, stay strong and that the fact that those growth models actually work and you probably won't see those things really take shape form and fashion in 2022 but you'll get an early glimpse of those things in 2023 where you start to see some of that revenue come out so that's pretty much it for restoration hardware all in all solid quarter on the great beat on the top and bottom line i think the biggest thing that ultimately spooked investors was really just the fact that you know hey they came in light on their guidance and also acknowledged the fact that there are some economic factors that are looming and that's something that you want to look for as a trend in moving forward as we continue this year, uh, especially for Q1 earnings. Okay, so can we transition in our last 29 minutes? Sure. <laughs> of course we can. Transition. Can y'all see it? Yes. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to check out implied volatility and the VIX. All right. So a lot of times we know about implied volatility. You probably have seen, well, many people don't really know about volatility or implied volatility. When they look at their options chain, they tend to see it there, but they tend to skip right past it, which is pretty interesting. Um, and then on top of that, a lot of folks got to know who the VIX was earlier this year, where the VIX had told everybody, allow me to reintroduce myself. Um, and it definitely did so uh, starting after January. I think it was after the first few days of January. And then essentially it ran up. All right. So something to really look at in moving forward. So let's start off with implied volatility. First off, what is IV? Um, it's pretty much the market's view of the likelihood of changes in a given stock or security price. Now, keep in mind though, investors can use implied volatility to project future moves and supply and demand and are often and often employ it to price often uh, contracts. So this is really where implied volatility really gets a lot of its shine, where a lot of folks pay attention to that IV. You probably heard about it before where you hear about things like IV crush and all this other stuff. 
we'll get into that in a little bit. So let's first grab a pen and paper because you know what this is. This is a come up series school of investing and you know how we do. So <laughs> let's, let's start with what we're going to talk about a little bit. So we're going to get into the basics. Then we're going to talk about the mechanics, how it affects options, the good, the bad, and of course the takeaway. So I got maybe 27 minutes left. So let's hope that I can knock these gems out uh, immediately for y'all. So let's first get into, say, for example, what to know about IV. It can often be thought to be a proxy of market risk. So in general, uh, it increases in bearish markets. So you probably saw implied volatility significantly spiking when the markets were dropping and when investors believe equity prices will decline over time. IV decreases when the market becomes bullish. So you probably have saw that you probably have seen recently that a lot of the implied volatility for some of the stocks are starting to come down. Um, so this is when investors believe that prices will rise over time. Bearish markets are considered to be undesirable and riskier to, major to the majority of equity investors. So just remember, if it's in a bearish market, then it's like, mm, I ain't going to touch that. Somebody else take this diaper. Somebody else go change it. Um, so then let's build, shall we? Because let's build on top of that. So when we think about implied volatility, it approximates the future value of the option. And the option's current value is also taken into consideration. So just as a quick little heads up, there are companies out there or there are stocks out there that literally have significantly throughout, no matter what, they typically trade at high IVs or high implied volatilities than other stocks. Can you pick, can you mention any tickers in the chat? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So options with, again, so remember what I said, options with high implied volatility have higher premiums and vice versa. So for example, if you have a company that's a high momentum growth stock, hey, I see the people out there. Y'all get it. Thank you. Shout <laughs> out to Isaiah and everybody else, not Tesla. We see you. So when a company has so again, let me repeat that. When options with high implied volatilities, they have high premiums. So you see them a lot with those high premium stocks. Uh, you typically see because of the fact that there's also high there's high implied volatility, which means that their premiums will be higher. And if they don't have high uh, volatility or implied volatility, then that means that their premiums will most likely be lower. AKA, think about it like this. Normally, have you noticed that no, most of the time stocks individual stocks will have a higher implied volatility versus say for example ETFs which tend to have lower implied volatility very very interesting so something to keep in mind mm -hmm. um, now of course make sure you write this down implied volatility is based on probability it's you know it I want you to I'll repeat it for you implied volatility is based on probability. So this means it is only an estimate of future prices rather than an actual indication where they'll go. So essentially, even though investors take implied volatility into account, when making investment decisions, this dependence can inevitably impact prices themselves. So I know a lot of y'all are like, so this is guaranteed. <laughs> right so implied volatility is kind of like guarantee right no <laughs> absolutely not 
So when we think about it, there is no guarantee that an option price will follow the prediction, the predicted pattern at all, none whatsoever. So as long as people want to conduct business in the stock market, just know this, there are no guarantees. So some of y'all are like, okay, well, all right, that makes sense. Well, what are the factors? I'm glad you asked. Supply and demand are major determining factors for implied volatility. Another one is another one that, that has an impact on the premium is time value of the option or the amount of time until the option expires. You know, that thing that kind of like feeds into that theta uh, in, in the Greeks. So if we look at it, if we look at an asset that is in high demand, the price tends to rise, right? So let's take a shoe that's out there in the market or a handbag or let's say a laptop or a cell phone or any type of item that's out there that's in high demand. That price tends to rise. Well, so does the implied volatility, which leads to a higher option premium due to the risky nature of the option. So if, if that's true on the high side, then the opposite is also true. When there is plenty of supply, but not enough market demand, the implied volatility falls. So that means that essentially if nobody's willing to buy this, <laughs> look, I'm over here like talking, I'm, I'm the CBOE talking about, hey, y'all, we got a sale going on. And the <laughs> option price becomes cheaper. So normally if you look at an options price, if you look at an options price chart, you tend to see that essentially that it also has an impact on the options price. So here's the thing. If you look at it, normally look at if you get the chance, go look at any options uh, chart for any stock and notice how that option typically starts off at some type of high price. But ain't nobody buying that. The smart money is like, look, man, you do what you do. We'll wait. Whereas you'll have the other folks out there that just can't wait and they'll go out there and get in and then they're buying in at the high and then not realizing that, OK, hey, that this just came out. There's going to be probably a potentially lower price. So ultimately, hey, I'm going to wait, and then thus, I can come in and buy at a lower premium. Same thing works. Watch that implied volatility because it will show you something. Now, a short-dated option often means in low implied volatility, whereas a long-dated option, a.k.a. shout-out to them leaps in the building, <laughs> <laughs> option tends to result in high implied volatility. The difference lies in the amount of time left before the expiration of the contract. Since there is a lengthier time, remember this, since there is longer time, the price has an extended period to move into a favorable price, level in comparison to the strike price. So just remember that, you know, if we if we really just thinking about it, you know, if you just wait, <laughs> if you just wait. Uh, especially if you're looking to play like normally, like notice that, especially in this market where we're starting to get a little bit more normal, you'll tend to find that you can get better pricing for longer term options. So just think about like when we saw that the market corrected, the folks in whom which that bought in at the high, it's like now they have to wait for those premiums to come back up versus the folks in whom which that bought in during correction time, then mm -hmm. essentially they got in at low premiums and then now they get to ride that elevator up. Now, the good thing is, is in some cases you can ride the elevator up together, but you have to make sure that that implied volatility 
will ultimately rise. And as the implied volatility gets higher, then that will also have an effect on the price premium. Okay. So, whoa. <laughs> because I've said a lot. So let's talk about the pros. You know, when we think about the pros of, let's say, implied volatility, we think about it in the sense of, here are some simple pros. It quantifies market sentiment and uncertainty. So it gives you a good read of that um, when you think about it. It also helps set option. It also helps to set option prices. So you can see that when implied volatility drops and you can probably most certainly guess that most likely those option prices will all come down. And then of course it determines a straight, a trading strategy because you can look at implied volatility given that it is a probability. You can kind of look at that and say, well, you know, Mark, this is something in which that, you know, maybe I, this, I may need to wait on this for a second. Hmm. Now, of course, when you have high momentum stocks, they just always trade at a high implied volatility. So there's nothing that you can do about it. But normally it's like, you know, and that's why, you know, people always say start off with ETFs because they have low implied volatility. Okay. Now let's talk about them cons. <laughs> now, now we ain't talking about the charlatans out there. We're just talking about the cons, like the things in which that are not good. All right. So we're talking about things in which that it's based solely on prices, not fundamentals. There are no fundamentals attached when we talk about implied volatility. None whatsoever. And then when we think about it, it's sensitive to unexpected factors, AKA news and events, economic things. So as we start to see things trigger economically, you start to see that implied volatility can also, AKA IV crush, your, your implied volatility can literally be crushed. So here's the thing to keep in mind. Like one of the events to take a look at is, this is why a lot of folks when they play, let's say uh, like earnings, you know, you have to be the first. It's like normally you're like the first ones in and first ones out, but yet you're riding on 50-50. Look at the implied volatility during the weeks of earnings. You typically see that those implied volatilities start to go significantly high. But then if you're like waiting in there too long and though that you could be right, you could still not be getting the type of return in which that you expected because of the fact that the implied volatility has like left the room. So something to also pay attention to. Now, what about this thing called the VIX? <laughs> you know, because that's a very, very interesting story here. You know, it's very, very interesting. You know, it must be studied or something. So, which leads me to... Huh? Is that a tornado? Yes, it is. <laughs> the, I, I wanted to give the best visual that I could to the people when it comes to looking at the VIX. But is it all tornadoes? Well, I give you all a gift tonight. It's called One More Thing. So has anybody ever heard about the rule of 16? So don't worry. If you haven't worried, if you haven't heard about it, that's okay. But, you know, have you ever thought, like, has it ever, like, crossed your mind when you thought about, like, in the market where you see that, well, we see that the VIX is at this number. Like, when the VIX was at 32, 
And yet we constantly saw these moves, these price swings of about 2%. Is that actually something in which that could be predictable? Hmm. Well, let's talk about it. So on the, on the right side, we had the VIX level. So on the, on, on one side, we had the VIX level at 16. So which means that expected daily range of about one out of three times or one third of the time. Um, so AKA 33% of the time, you'll see that the, that there will be a 1% move in the S and P 500. So it implies either a 1% move to the upside or 1% move to the downside and so on and so on. So remember when I mentioned 32% or 32 in the VIX, then that equaled a 2% move. Now, of course, you've seen in some cases where it's like you've seen the VIX go all the way up to 80 and you know, clearly that's a 5% move in the market. Now, let's talk about this rule of 16, shall we? Now, of course, R-U-L-L, sorry for my, for my typing. I was going pretty fast before we came on live, so please forgive me there. But pretty much it tells us how options are pricing a stock. So if implied volatility, that is what the options market thinks will happen in the future, is let's say 16, it means that the stock is priced to move at 1% each day until expiration. Pretty simple, right? You know, because essentially, like, let's let's get this further because. And I'm going to come off. I'm going to come on screen for this one. So let's think about it. Here's a quick breakdown of how is it that you can actually calculate it for, say, for example, the position. Bear with me. We're going to do some magic here. <laughs> Jolyn. Yes. How many trading days are there in 2022? Uh, 251. Okay, so if there's 251 trading days in 2022, you do the square root of 251, and that gives you about 15.84. So 15.84 is it would be the answer to the square root of 251. So hold on to that number. Because yeah. now you take, say, for example, what's taking place in the VIX number. So you take that VIX number, and then you divide that against say for example that 15.84 so let's say for example let's let's have some magic shall we yeah i'm going to say we are literally and give me a second here because we're going we're going to warm it up here in a second <laughs> and i still got time so yo today i got time cuz mm -hmm. um so let's say that the vix is currently at 18.9 okay Okay, so if we say 18.9 is the VIX number, mm -hmm. you divide that by the 15.84, what number does that place us at? 1.19. Hmm. All right. Now, we closed today in the S&P 500. The S&P 500 was up 1.23%. Mm -hmm. And what was the number in the implied volatility again? Uh, it was... That formula was 1.19. <laughs> it's not an exact science, but it comes pretty close. And it's 33% of the time, 33% of the time throughout the year, mm -hmm. in a trading year, you may find that essentially that it will trade at that price. So let's 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 run that back, shall we? Because I know that I just said a lot there. So here's the formula for literally calculating the rule of 16. Now, of course, everybody's like, wait a minute, Mark. Well, what about the 16 number? 
That's if you round the number up. Some people like to round the number up to 16. Now, if you, I like to be a little bit more thorough. So again, boom, there it is. If you have a calculator, you take the 151, which is the amount of trading, or 251, I'm sorry, 251, which is the amount of trading days in this fiscal year. And then you divide that by, say, for example, or you actually do square root of that. I'm going to take you guys back to original mathematics and arithmetic. But if you want to use the good old friend Google to mm -hmm. say, Google, what's the square root of 251? Then that'll give you a 15.84. So 15.84 is the, is the answer to the square root of 251. So then you take whatever the, the VIX number is, and then you divide that by, and a lot of folks take the opening number or the what where it closed at, and then they take that number, and then they say, okay, hey, divide that by, say, for example, 15.84. Now, another thing that you could do is you can also take into consideration, that's the high side. Mm -hmm. Now, here's a cool thing that I tend to do on my side of things just to give me a, a particular range. So if you look at it, Jolynn, Yes. If we take 15.84 and then divide that by today's VIX number, which is 18.9, where does that place us? One, uh, the 1.9 again? Wait, so 15.84 mm -hmm. or yeah, 15.84 divided by 18.9. Oh, sorry. 18.9 is 0.83. Uh, so that could be essentially your potential low side. Mm. So on one side, you have the 1.1, and then on the low side, you have your 0.8. It's funny because when we look at it, you know, we had a 1.23% in the S&P 500 that, that ran across the board. Now, if you take into consideration... Here's the funny part. Sometimes you can even use that to even look at some potential lows and periods of time throughout the day of where it hits its lowest point mm -hmm. due to that volatility and then essentially where it closes. Mm. And that's ultimately how you look at implied volatility and the VIX. Ta-da! <laughs> we need like some uh, sound effects. Yeah, I don't have those yet. <laughs> okay, so I think you should say I think you should say the opposite um, of the formula again. Oh, so again, you still have your fifteen point eight four. Mm -hmm. Um. So then again, you take the fifteen point eight four if you want to see the low side. And yep, somebody just put it up there. VIX is divided by 15.84 or 15.84 is divided by the VIX. You That's can do both to give you a range. Mm -hmm. So on one side, it will give you the low side. On the other side, it will give you the high side. And that is not, again, it's not guaranteed, but it gives you some data in which that you can use to cross-reference against other things that are out there. And this is specifically... Uh, slated towards because the VIX re is a specific reading by CBOE directly to the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. So it's not specifically designated towards, you know, the NASDAQ or the Dow. It's just specifically the S&P 500. Totally. All right. So, um, with well, eight we have minutes eight minutes. or with eight minutes to spare. 
Right, but we also there's some there were some questions about Tesla. Um I think it had to do with like delivery predictions or something. Hold on. <laughs> Let's see what the cousins were talking about. We have um Okay, many of these questions you answered. Okay, here's a question. This is about AMD. So um, how do you think AMD's uh, compound annual growth rate will be impacted post-merger compared to 50%? Um, I think that, the, I mean, I think that for the first year, it's going to stay the same. And then mm -hmm. essentially when we start seeing that they, that that chip that they were like looking to put together mm -hmm. um, between the two, I think that that'll probably start to take place in 2024 at the end of 2023 early 2024 where we start to see that that impacts their margins okay another question uh do you think tesla will start recycling batteries as part of master plan three they already are so it's not even a part of master plan three tesla already works with a company that comes with a former employee that was huge on their battery technology and then essentially they now have a recycling company where they take in tons of batteries and guess who's their number one supply guess who they supply those batteries to or those, 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 uh, they pretty much, well, okay, let me rephrase that. They take components and then they grind it up back into raw materials. And then mm -hmm. they take those raw materials and then send them back to like places like Panasonic and everything else. And mm -hmm. then they come back to being able to be made into batteries. So we're already starting to see that technology really start to take shape, form, and fashion now. And there's a ton of other players that are within the space, which means that essentially that we get to a place where we don't need to. I think they're able to recycle up to 95% of the actual raw material and reuse it. Okay, ESG. Um, can Sony compete with Microsoft? When it comes to PS5 and Xbox? Yeah. I mean, Sony has a very distinct uh, playlist and, or you know, library of content as well as game development studios. I mean, I don't think that Sony is going anywhere. Okay. Now they need to they need to figure out the situation when it comes to gaming in the cloud because if they can't figure that out then yeah then it may be lights out curtains you know somebody may have just you know given you a safari punch or something like that and you're gone so if they can figure out how to resolve the PlayStation Now business line where mm -hmm. they can game in the cloud um, or even maybe even cross or cross pollinate more with the PC market then that would be huge for Sony but if they can't do that then they're in trouble. Okay, here's a question about um, options charts. Do gaps fill in options charts the same as stock charts? There's an argument to be made on both sides where it's like the, 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 some folks are in the ruling of all gaps must be filled, but you have to remember you're playing in a totally different game when it comes to the options market. Um, it's way more volatile than the actual stocks are. So in some cases you can, in other cases, probably not. Okay. Um, here is another question. Uh, oh wait, you already answered all these yield curve questions. Oh, there was a question about... Um, Shout out to the cousin that got the materials company right in the chat. Um, Redwood, Redwood Materials is one of them. Yes. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Okay. So there was a question about, we didn't look at a chart yet. So this question is, can we see a chart from a previous recession with commentary? Four minutes left to spare? Four hmm. minutes. 
Oh, don't make it easy on a guy. I know. All and right, so who know. am I? Am I just am I just looking at the spy? Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that I'm just looking at the spy. Mm-hmm. All right. So like 2008 or something. No, I'm gonna even go even further than that. All right. So, um. Mm, So let's look at it over a five-year period. See if I can pull it up. Okay. And let's go ahead and hit this transition over here where I do this share screen. Hopefully everybody can see the screen. All right, can everybody see this? I just gotta make it a little bigger. Yeah, Boom. that's better. Okay, and just for the sake of branding, though that we never remove, we never remove it. But just for now, we'll do it. All right. So when we look at it over periods of time, you know, of course, you see the the periods of re recession. Though that this is more so recession caused by the dot com bubble bust, more like a market crash. Um, and then of course we had the fall of the we had the financial crisis, which is very interesting because we always come back down to like you know previous lows of mm -hmm. the you know somewhere before. And then, of course, came back up. I think this was a time of where we had recession here because we had the this was around the time that we had some taper tantrums that were taking place here. Um, and then, of course, we had the 2015, 2016, but that wasn't really a significant re recession there. So it was just more so like a choppy market. And then, of course, we had 2016 all the way up to 2018. This is around the time that the yield curve had inverted around this period of time here in March of 2018. It's funny how things always take place in March, but you know, <laughs> checking for it. All right. And then of course we went back up and that goes to show you something. Uh, the markets tend to, you know, get over it. But then again, that's when we started seeing the fed doing its, its work. Um, and then boom, we came down. And then of course we had this glorious run starting in 2020 or 2019 all the way up to early 2020 that was a huge run there um and then of course covid happened and then again march um and then we jumped up again um pretty interestingly and then here we go again people being spooked about the economy um <clears throat> March and then boom. <laughs> so all in all to say, it's like the markets tend to brush off recessions fairly quickly because, you know, again, it's not something to significantly be spooked about. Um, they tend to recover pretty fast. So there you have it. All right. Um, thank you for that. So it's now 630. Your girl is hungry. Um, I do just want to say that we do have Supplemental Sunday this Sunday, 5 o'clock um, Pacific Standard Time, and that's 8 o'clock Eastern Time. So make sure that you all tune in for that. There will be various, you know, reminders and all that um, on social media throughout the week. So, yeah. you have anything else you want to say, Mark, before we shut it down? Um, you know... There's been a lot going on in social media and I, I tend to like, you know, stay away from it. Um, but, you know, I'm going to address some things here and I'm going to address it very quickly. You know, 
I made a posting about like, you know, the word for the culture and how it's being, you know, how we're starting to look away from that. When we say that we are for the culture, we mean that by every shape, form and fashion. Like we really mean and we really care about the things in which that we do um, because of the fact that this is kind of like our mission project. I mean, it's not kind of it. This is our mission project. You know, Jolyn <laughs> in all of her leisurely vibes, giving up a Tuesday night just to sit back and, you know, have these lessons or to sit back and share the knowledge. And of course, myself and how crazy my schedule is, you know, I don't do this for anything else outside of the fact of kindness to each and every single one of you. And in hopes that essentially that this will turn around and literally be reciprocated in the sense of sharing the knowledge with somebody else who will one day want to learn and maybe learn from you. Um, that's the reason why we do it. So, and that's what it means in which that when we say for the culture, we hope that here at the come up series, whether it's myself, Jolyn, TiVo, AJ, and any other person that you will probably see later on that joins within the fold, we really, really mean that. Now, as it pertains to the folks out there that charge for courses and everything else, that's not our stronghold. You know, that is that has nothing to do with us. And if and if they do a great job, we want you to understand this. The come up series is established as a standard bar as it pertains to knowledge, wisdom, and information in which that you come and you receive. Anything outside of that that literally goes above and beyond what we can do, because of the fact is, is that again, we get to teach things that we want to teach. It's not something that's literally within a specific course curriculum format, though that, I mean, you know, check out that school of investing. It's kind of lit. Um, but at the same token, if there is someone out there that can teach better than what we can do, cool. We're all for that. Do your thing. And if it comes with a, some type of cost, fine. We don't care. We want you to know that when you watch the come up series, this right here will be the standard as it pertains to knowledge and information that you receive. We ain't beefing with nobody. This is financial. Like this is the finance. This is financial literacy and financial education. You know, when you look at Dan Ives, Dan Ives is not like debating against, say, for example, the Kathy Woods of the world. Or he's not like trying to bring bring her down or anything like that. When you look at the folks on Wall Street, though, that they are literally com there are competing firms. Anthony Chikumba is not literally trying to bring down a Dan Ives. You know, they are literally trying to share information and everything else. So that way their investors are well informed or that their clients are well informed. You all are our clients in the sense that we want to make sure that you are well informed. The way that it has already been paid, there is nothing that can ultimately come forth that you can ever give us because of the fact is, is that our ancestors have already paid the price. They've already paved the way, paid the price. So consider it payment in full. This is something in which that we love doing. We enjoy doing it. And it's like, you know, instead of us spending so much time, you know, wondering about this and that and that, focus on the things in which that you can have magnanimous impact, which is one, your portfolio, two, your family's future, three, essentially your, your knowledge and wisdom and literacy growing in this space. You know, we miss more opportunities when we're focused on everything else versus the opportunities that were golden that were sitting right there in front of us. Please take advantage. 
please be kind to one another because I promise you, it ain't worth it. One of the uh, one of the things that we saw on everybody's talking about, like, you know, things that took place at the Oscars. Okay, that's only one representation of what you see. This is another representation of what you see. And when you think of the Come Up series, the only thing that we want you to know of or think about us in in this form of few things. We are definitely for the culture because we're from it. Two, <laughs> essentially, we stand for excellence here. So what Jolin says, no raggedy portfolios. FOMO is not a strategy. Let's go ahead and get this. Let's go ahead and keep the strategy going and stick to the script. And then ultimately, the third part is because of the fact of how this entire channel started, it started purely out of kindness. So we expect it from each and every single one of you. Go out there and be kind. Until next time, I'm Mark Monroe. I'm Jolyn GC in the place to be. And hopefully for each and every single one of you, this has been a come up. We'll see y'all next week. Peace, y'all.